Welcome to 2LO Rebooted, where we tell the stories of BBC design and engineering. I'm Bill Thompson. This is the fifth and last in our series of programmes from BBC Research and Development, exploring fundamental issues around the design of digital services and how we measure their impact. The programmes were recorded during the pandemic, when travel and sharing studios wasn't possible in the UK, and the recording quality is variable. Hi and welcome to the fifth and final episode of our BBC R&D Human Values podcast series with me, Ian Forrester, and my colleague, Leanne Curlin. Having explored different aspects of the human values work we're doing inside of BBC R&D, we now want to consider how things might change as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. We're joined by Pauline Drescher from the Netherlands Film Festival, who is a member of the steering group of publicspaces.net. Yancy Strickler, author, entrepreneur, co-founder and former CEO of Kickstarter. And Alexandra de Champsoncino from Design Swarm, a leading ethical thinker in the design space. During our conversations about human values, one thing that came up quite a lot was COVID-19. All of these conversations were recorded back in July 2020. In the UK, we were in a national lockdown and a lot of the other nations around the world were also in some kind of lockdown. We've had some really great discussions with Alex and Pauline and others about how we're seeing values play out in the current COVID-19 pandemic. One of the things that I think is really interesting is that we see people as they're slowing down, taking stock and reflecting. Anecdotally, we're seeing that everybody's flocked to online and they're living every aspect online, their social engagement, work, meetings, and slowly now being into this new normal, what we're calling, we're seeing that this kind of constant engagement with technology is affecting people. Digitally, people are starting to feel exhausted. I like the distinction that Pauline makes between the situation now and the beginning days of the internet where we're all sort of learning like the capabilities and we're going back to basics with regard to moving everything online. When we recorded with Pauline, a few months ago we were quite early into covid pandemic and lockdown and she talked quite a lot about how before the lockdown we were all starting to look at ways to enjoy the offline world a little bit more and then everybody flocked online and things starting to re-emerge we're seeing people realizing that too much of it can make you quite exhausted you only have to look at in the news yeah the amount of stories i've seen about you know zoom Microsoft Teams, you know, Google Hangouts, you know, the kind of that exhaustion of looking at a video of the other people and of yourself and the kind of the feedback mechanisms of like you're seeing yourself and you're trying to act and this kind of element of acting just is exhausting. And I do think that because it's obviously it's quite a different period of time, it's quite a quite a shock it's a it's a trauma and you know it, it, it's something that we will we will remember will be a generation that will remember it is a trauma and i think people are trying to look for other ways to to be well and unfortunately a lot of that meant looking at a youtube video <laughs> so you're staring at a screen anyway it's 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 been very difficult because you know normally the people would, would go and they would just go and go for a walk in the hills or something like that and it just wasn't possible pauline is is part of is um the thing called public spaces and yeah it's a collective of people looking for looking 
to the future of the internet and trying to bring forward some of the the things that were in the early days but kind of think about where that might exist in the in the future and I, I find it interesting because within the lockdown and all of this staring at screens all this kind of I hate tech one of the things that public spaces and other organizations are also trying to do is trying to go just enough tech or enough internet just enough not not all time not zero but just be more selective and and have enough that you're comfortable with have that discipline to go you know what i've had enough uh zoom or other meetings i'm now going to switch to a phone call and actually i've had people say to me how they appreciate just having the the video off and just talking and be able to like walk around the room and not have to worry about where the position of their camera is in you know in comparison to where they are it's stuff like that which is quite relaxing so i think there's some interesting stuff that you'll hear in some of the interviews that we're about to play let's hear from pauline dresler pauline dresler is an independent creator and researcher at the netherlands film festival and is also part of the steering committee of public spaces suddenly it's it, the whole internet became such more vital for so many people it's it's not just this place where you send an email or where you go online to to buy your next dress or where you well just do your general things it's suddenly your only lifeline it's suddenly the only way to reach out to colleagues it's suddenly the only way how you can do your job and and that that's a really different situation with yeah as i said somehow it it, it feels nice because the, the internet seems to regain in in social status but at the same time it's also a horrible thing that's happening now because the, the society for my opinion, was just about to enter a phase where we try to do more things offline again. You know, try try to re-value the, the the offline relationships we have, and you know, people start doing uh, stuff with gardening, and people start to uh, trying to resist being online all the time. You know, the uh, applications like a dumb phone came on the market a phone that is not online all the time or a phone with with not that many applications etc so there is this these two movements on the one hand that i feel that everything went a little bit back offline at least for some of us and that felt good and at the same time now we all need the online so much but because everyone is there and we are doing so much more there now it's it's more fun and it, it's more sociable than it was before and, and maybe even resembles a little bit more uh, in the beginning years of the internet on the one hand that i feel that everything went a little bit back offline at least for some of us and that felt good and at the same time now we all need the online so much but because everyone is there and we are doing so much more there now it's it's more fun and it, it's more sociable than it was before and, and maybe even resembles a little bit more uh in the beginning years of the internet like it, it's really again the social lifeline and who's out there and how can we connect how can we share just the other week we, we had this this wonderful symposium with karen palmer about fear with academics artists um 
people, humans from all over the globe talking about their experience with fear as being the, the, the largest pandemic we have. So it's not COVID-19, but it's the fear itself that is threatening us. So it was a wonderful uh, gathering with, I think, over 200 people. So th those things are really the, the good parts coming out of this. And it's still a big learning curve. And I think that's what Pauline was alluding to about how it resembles the early days of the internet where it was this new thing and then we all jumped on it and started trying to learn what, what the capabilities were and what we could do with it. What I'm really interested in is understanding how we can make a better online life for people. You talked a little bit about public spaces and that project. I wondered if you wanted to say a little bit about what it is for people that haven't heard of it before. Yeah, so public spaces is um, it's a kind of a, a loose collaboration of different, um, mainly Dutch um, public organisations. So we're not just talking about broadcasters, we're also talking about museums, art centres, um, you know, kind of all of these different public um, kind of entities all kind of working towards a common goal, which is to try and understand what public service is in the age of the internet, which is very similar to the kind of goals that we're exploring as well. This is why we're very interested in um, We're very interested in in um in helping them and um obviously other other broadcasters are also interested in in them um but also there's because they they look across the whole uh public sphere rather than just as a broadcaster um it also means that they're looking at um you know how for example one of the f the things that i heard a while ago was um yeah you know, how the library system is changing uh, most people are just go. Oh well, it's just it's just online. Why why do we need to to change it? But actually, libraries are being used in a very different way. They're being used to to fill in uh, important documentation um, or sorry, important documents um, such as your your driving license, you know, your passport. Because there's there's people there who probably understand and can help. Uh, but also it's a quiet space, it's generally a quiet space, it's a, it's a trusted space, you know, and it's, 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 it's weird because actually a lot of people, I think in the early days were thinking, well, the libraries will just become, exi you know, it will just disappear because what's the point in the library when you can get everything online, but actually there's, they'll be used in a different way, and I think that sums up some of the things that public spaces is, um, is kind of focused on, it's like, what is the other way? Not trying to kind of remove uh, it completely or kind of go, this is bad. It's just kind of like trying to f look and, and kind of think about those other ways, you know, how they're being used. You are listening to the Human Values Framework podcast series. Alexandra Deschamps-Sansino is an author, consultant and entrepreneur. She reflects on her design practice as CEO of Design Swarm. I think that it's the first time in my experience as a designer that we are forced to think about the basics. And when I saw the framework, I really thought of it in terms of, um, you know, and I, I know that it's a point of inspiration for the research, but in terms of hierarchies of these values. I think that there are things that you cannot try to achieve without achieving others. 
So your safety and health, as you've highlighted, I think has come to the fore because we largely have lived in societies that have taken it for granted. We don't live in Syria. We don't live in um, you know, African nations that are con under constant turmoil, uh, like the Democratic Republic of Congo. And um, we don't, we haven't since the Second World War, which is why it's also such a point of reference continuously over the last two months, we haven't had to question health and well-being. And I think that we've then built up societies and, and services and practices, my own included, that have dealt with other sets of those values. So we've had, to, uh, we've had the luxury of being able to talk about uh, personal um, data and personal um, imagery online and how we feel about online services, etc. And all of that is sort of not exactly being um, revisited, but uh, our sense, for example, of uh, what uh, our personal data means is going to be really uh, readjusted with, for example, the contact tracing work that's being done. Uh, because we are prioritizing health and well-being, and therefore we are probably going to engage in some form of more active surveillance because that's the priority. The priority right now is on uh, people being safe. And I think that then reprioritizes a lot of things that we take for granted or we have taken for granted. In order to move forward, we need new ways of understanding what value is. So I think having new ways to identify what value really looks like to people, especially in the digital age, is what we really need. Moving forward, we really need to have investment in companies that are ethical, humane, not fo focus on those numbers. COVID-19 has kind of got people thinking a lot more about themselves and thinking about how they exist in the group. And actually, um, Yancey will talk a little bit about a kind of framework that he uses to to get people to really think about the individualism of the culture uh, versus the collectivism um, that they are part of. It's very interesting because you know maybe especially during the first dot com, uh, if if this was talked about, um, and there were people who were doing that. I mean, don't get me wrong, there were people you know like what Pauline was saying. You know, people in the early days of the internet who were talking about this is. This is a chance for this. And they just didn't get the airtime. They didn't get the airtime. They didn't get the space. They they kind of got laughed out the door. But now when a pandemic pandemic like COVID-19 comes, it makes you start to question a lot more about your role, what you do, how you fit into, into a bigger society. I feel like frameworks like what um what we're trying to achieve with the human values but also some of the other frameworks are, are fascinating because it does make people really it gives them something that they can really kind of think about try understand and look a bit deeper and i think that's that's ultimately what the human values is about it's about looking a bit deeper yancey strickler is an author an entrepreneur he's also the co-founder and former ceo of kickstarter as the author of the book, This Could Be Our Future, A Manifesto for a More Generous World, in the book he describes a new framework called Bentoism. 
things, but our belief that financial value was the only rational value was based on this even deeper assumption that I hadn't really thought about before, but that the only rational space to think about is now me. That this individualistic, short-term oriented way of seeing the world that is especially prevalent in the West limits our perimeter of self-interest in such a way that everything beyond what matters to me right this second is seen as irrational or emotional or less true somehow. And to me, that feels like not the truth of things, but more um, an expression of our limited vision at this moment. And so my book and then the, the, the structure I, I, I created called Bentoism is all based on this idea that there is an expansion of self-interest that is happening. It's an expansion of self-interest from the individual to a collective. I don't think it's the global collective. I think it's people that we feel emotionally tied to. And there's an expansion from now into the future and things like climate change, um, all sorts of the, the major mega problems we're facing now in the 21st century. These are not individual problems. These are collective problems. And so, whereas the 20th century was about sort of solving the space of the individual. You know, we really, we really crushed what it is to be like the, the man or woman against the world. Like that was the iconic image of that entire century. I believe that this century is about collective problems and that we've just, the hyper-focus on individuality has produced, I think, a lot of great things. And, and I certainly like, I, I, you know, I believe in the individual. Um, but there is a need for a kind of post-individuality where we all appreciate how we are unique, but yet we see the, the greatest meaning and the, and the greatest potential in finding the ways that we are similar um, and in structuring a society more around that. So it, what it's made me feel is that um, everyone's doing the best they can with what they know. Um, what we know is limited. Uh, our ability to see more and more of our world takes generally takes life experience, um, but maybe there are ways to accelerate that. And, and a lot of what the research in my book showed is that values are quite fluid. I think any, any frameworks where people can think about things in different ways. So we have Yancey talking about thinking about decisions more in the longer term future with human values. We're trying to get people to look further ahead, deeper, wider, to really understand the benefit of enabling personal value, society value, designed for good, in order to move forward. I think getting people to really think about things in deeper ways is needed. I think it's very common for us because we're quite privileged to be able to talk about ethics. The education and awareness is that first key step to start engaging and informing the population at large. What do you think it would take for more of the majority of people to start thinking in ways that are kind of more valuable? I think it's it's a difficult one because as I said we're very privileged. Um and I think actually Alex talks about how, you know, in Europe we're we're very privileged in what we what we in where we think and stuff like that. I think the the difficult part and I, I, this is probably from my own experience is um, with some of the work we've done previously around um, the ethics of data, about just data privacy, all of these things is that what we tend to find is that unless the person has kind of almost like scratched the edge or come come up against 
a barrier, that's when they suddenly go, oh, wait a minute, I don't think I like this, you know, I think I'm not so, I'm not quite as down with, with um, these companies owning all this data. I, I kind of, I, I like to, I like to think that the like, yeah, when, so I see a lot of emails because I'm subscribed to a service which will warn me when a company has had a breach. And I kind of think that if someone saw those emails, it would make them kind of question and think about this. And I think back to where we are right now, I like to think that COVID-19, I know a lot of horror and awfulness has come out of COVID-19, but I'm hoping that one of the things that people will start to think more about is that they'll be more kind of thoughtful about their time on the internet, how they use their time, what devices they're using, those kind of things. I think something like a pandemic would be the way that to to kind of change people's minds as such, or at least kind of like make them think a little bit differently. I think ultimately it is about education, but also you need to have something which kind of like makes them kind of go, okay, I'm now not down with being on, on video calls, you know, nine times a day. I actually... I, I feel like this and I I feel other people feel like this what can I do about this yeah I think um something Alex talks about society has taken health for granted and I think that's probably one of the things that will uh, keep people kind of help people to keep to some of the things that um that COVID has has an enabled as such um the pandemic has has enabled is um we take it for granted and we've taken a lot of things for granted and the the end of lockdown will be a point where people will either kind of hopefully think now a bit more about what they they have taken for granted and the way that they've conducted themselves and the things that are I, mean, I think a lot of people <laughs> I think a lot of people will really appreciate the fact that they can not just leave but also you know meet up with loved ones and stuff like that and I think um that's really important but also I think that they'll probably might bring some of the routines and some of the some of the things that they've been you know looking a little bit deeper thinking a bit more uh, a bit more thoughtful about the the way that they kind of uh do things they might take that into the future so you never know you might see some quite big differences uh, i think the the ethical thinking will be something that will continue uh, and i think this is why stuff like human values is going to be so important i think you're right in that the pandemic is probably the wake-up call that some people probably needed with regards to oh you've hit the barrier now you've really got to stop reflect take stock and think how you might want to be some people probably flourish in that but for the majority I think it's quite uncomfortable to not keep going and going and going but actually stop and look a bit deeper and reflect on things I think it's an uncomfortable scenario to have so much time on your hands for some people to consider how they're living and what they might want to do in the future like you say I hope one of the things that comes out of this is that we move into a future where people are a bit more mindful and considerate and proactive rather than being reactive and hopefully the human values framework can help 
on that design level to be proactive in the way that we design for good and design for people to enable them to be healthy and to be safe and to ensure that well-being is at the heart of everything that we do and I think also it comes down to the measures all the conversations we have always come down to having the measures because on an identity level it defines us as an organisation it defines us as people because we need some barometer as to how we're doing and so when we've got metrics of time and tension that becomes the, the main focus it becomes the main focus for how you operate at every level of an organisation from design to innovation to decision making to get to the new measures is something that we're very focused on because we know that people need an alternative. Alex Deschamps-Sansino thinks about the new generation of consumers and how the whole idea has changed. I think people are, at least from the consumer perspective, I think a younger consumer is uh, definitely more attuned to the emptiness of a, of a commercial purchase. Um, we see a lot more young people use, you know, have a real love for vintage clothing and engage in a conversation around mental health that does not include going on a shopping spree instead of having a conversation with a friend. And I think that that's a countercultural to their parents, who are probably my age, who were bathing in um, the warm bath of 1990s you know, uh, financial successes when they were younger, where you went to the mall or you went shopping on the high street with your friends as, you know, for kicks. And so I do think that the consumer is changing. We asked Alex Deschamps-Santino in her position as CEO of Design Swarm about education in design and has that changed and will it change? I don't think design education has changed. I don't necessarily think there are pockets of people now addressing, I think, some of the issues um, that are happening online, for example. Um, and I know that some of the uh, courses at UAL uh, in London are starting to diversify around these. But the solutionist approach is still there. And I think it's a byproduct of a sector that thinks of itself as um, emerging from the arts instead of emerging from advertising. If everyone who entered a design course had to read about the history of design and where it actually comes from and who created it for what reason and how curriculums were designed and who was there to support education in the 20s, 30s, 40s of the last century, uh, I think most people would not sign up to a design course. But they're not told that. They're told that design is good by its very nature. That somehow there's a, a warm uh, bomb that design can apply on the world through the manufacturing of cheap goods made in China. And I think that that's then very difficult for people to remove themselves from. It's very difficult for them to think in any other way than design is there for good. And uh, I think that's language. I think that's uh, great marketing on the part of uh, a whole industry. And I'm definitely not a you know, particularly good example of that industry in some ways. 
but I do know it's there and I can see it's there continuously. You know, design for good is a hilarious um, sort of expression because uh, who's good and good where and what exactly does good mean? She also leaves us with a cautionary tale for the future. It's very tricky, but I do think it's about a shift uh, to answer your question, I guess it would require a shift at an educational level and it would require uh, also some of the shifts that we see consumers going through trickling into the next generation of consumers as the baby boomers leave us sadly and my generation of people enter into you know, worrying about their pensions. Uh, I would want a young designer in their 20s now to enter into the prime of their career, which is their 30s, really, 30s and 40s, to make a significant move away from the reflex of making things continuously so that we can find other ways of maintaining uh, huge economies elsewhere. I mean, we see the impact of um, our societies being in lockdown and buying less clothes, we see that on Bangladeshi families and the fact that they are now, you know, thrown into poverty because we're buying less. How can we reverse that? And how can we make sure that other people's economies are not so tied to ours as to, um, you know, really be shifted so quickly and put other people in danger so quickly? So I think a, a, a collective rethink would be great. And I think governments are, should be there to support that collective rethink. I say should because I don't think we're in a particularly good example of that, but I think there's leadership elsewhere. Thank you for listening. And thank you to Alexandra Deschamps-Sansina, Pauline Dresler, and Yancy Strickler for their contributions. This has been a podcast from the Human Values team at BBC Research and Development. For more information, Check out our website at bbc.co.uk slash rd. Thanks for listening and thanks to Alexandra Deschamps-Honsino, Brian Suda, David Jay, Catchabago, Mark Sermon, Pauline Dresture, Solana Larson, Yancey Strickler for their contributions to the five episodes. If you're as excited by this work as we are, then you can follow our progress online at bbc.co.uk forward slash rd. And please do get in touch.